Amen. Thank you, Dr. Lytle. Uh, I'm going to start out a little different than what I was expecting to start out. Just give you a little bit behind the scenes into what sometimes happens. Uh, There are times where you come to a passage in Scripture and you read it, and it's like the door just opens up and you run through it and you're seeing all these things and you're making all of these connections and it is just something fantastic. And those are the weeks that you come in and you're like, I am so excited about this. I have made some connections I have never seen. Other times, you go to the door that flew open for you the last week, and it feels locked. And you start budging in it, and you, you just keep on, feel, you feel like you're just hitting your head against the door over and over and over again. And no matter what you're doing in the week, it just doesn't seem to click. That's been more of my week this week. In fact, last night around, I don't know, Billy, I don't know what time I texted you, maybe 9, 10, I'm like, I changed my whole outline. I got rid of the one that I had. I'm doing something different. I'm just, I've been wrestling with this one, and it's not quite there. So I was already feeling a little bit anxious this morning, was here late last night, came here pretty early this morning, did the worship rehearsal, But I'm thinking, okay, got to have this done, and then I'm going to run to my office to just finish some things, print out my notes, get, add a few things in there. I run to the back door in that corner, and you know how I said some doors open not easily. That door opened very easily. Unfortunately, my son was on the other side. Now, Any other six-year-old boy, with the force that I opened the door, probably would have sent them flying, but it was Jack. So I'm pretty sure the door might be damaged now. He's tough, and he's just, he's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he's holding his head, and he doesn't want to cry in public, so I'm like, okay, let's go to my office, and I just grab him. I walk to my office. While we're walking, this was this morning, I start seeing that there's blood all over the floor. And I'm like, oh, man. And I just start getting all shaked, you know, shaked up. I don't think that's a word. But I'm demonstrating how I was feeling. And so Betsy comes in, and, and a few of you were in the lobby, and you heard a, bah! And that was my son's head contacting the door handle. He's fine. <laughs> okay? He's okay. But it was just all of this stuff, and we had talked about this before when we, I talked to the worship team of, tr- truthfully, you are not here to hear my words. I apologize for the weeks in which I speak my words. We are here to hear the words of eternal life, not my words, the words of the Father, the words revealed through the Son. And so this passage that's all about prayer is poignant and appropriate for me because right now I'm needing it. Right now I have continually had to go and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I need your spirit to speak through me. And so that's kind of just a little bit of the behind the scenes that's happening. But we're going to go now to this passage that talks about prayer. But before you go there, I want to ask a question. And kids, we we have some kids here as well, and and I want to include you in this. Have you ever had, have you ever put, you you looked at something, and it was an awesome promise. I mean, it was an amazing 
promise. A promise that seemed too good to be true. And sometimes, what do we usually say? If a promise looks too good to be true, it probably is. Probably not true. I can think of different times when I was a kid where I would see promotions and think, look at that promise. Here's one that I, I had. When I was a kid, my aunt had a house that we would go to like every four years when we were here in the States. We would go to Ocean City, New Jersey. And if you've ever been to Ocean City, New Jersey, they have this big boardwalk on the beach and almost every single store has these critters out front in this huge cage going up the sides that look awesome that every boy wants. Who knows what they are? Hermit crabs. They're all over the place and they have these cool shells and the signs would say, free hermit crabs. Well, that's amazing. I could read that much. So I was like, yes, please, thank you. But then you got closer, and then you saw, what did you see it written on the bottom? With a cage. Well, I didn't have the money to buy a cage. You said a free hermit crab. That's what they promised. And then when I get there and they don't give me the promise, I'm disappointed. I don't trust that store anymore. It's not reality. It's not something that I can build my foundation on. Sometimes there's things like that, or sometimes it's promises. I remember um, a promise that people make, and they have good intentions, but it's just not really in their ability to hold that. Here's one of them. Um, I'm gonna, my dad's probably going to listen to this later, so I might get in trouble for sharing this story. But there was a time where we went bowling as a family, and my brother had thrown the first bolt, he had bowled the first time, and he got a 7-10 split. Now, if you know anything about bowling, that means it's the last two pins, and they are on opposite sides of each other. It is one of the hardest things to be able to get both of those so you can get a spare, and that's the goal. You only can throw it one more time. So my brother, he's three years older than me, he had this split, and my dad said this, if you get that 7 to 10 split, I will pay for your college. <laughs> what do you think happened next? <laughs> My brother threw it, and he got the 7-10 split. My father cannot afford to send my brother to college, so he got him ice cream instead, about even. <laughs> But it was a promise that was made that he didn't really have the capability of fulfilling. My dad has done wonderful things for us, but it was just a joke he never imagined. But sometimes we have that, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make this promise. And you have every intention of fulfilling your promise, but you don't have the power. You don't have the means to fulfill your promise. When those things happen, it, it undermines our confidence in what has been promised. It undermines our confidence in the one who has promised these things. But sometimes when we don't get the promise, the fault is not in the one who made the promise, but it's in the one who's pursuing the promise. See, in those first ones with the hermit crabs, they, they knew what they were doing. They were trying to deceive me. 
my dad, he wasn't trying to deceive me, but he just didn't have the power to actually fulfill that promise. But sometimes you have someone that actually has the power, has the good intention of fulfilling the promise, and yet you're like, I don't get it. I didn't get the promise. What happened? And it's so easy to put the blame on the other person instead of thinking, wait a second, why didn't this happen? Sometimes it doesn't happen because we don't actually listen to the whole promise. For example, if, when I was young, one of the things I most liked doing, and I, I bet a bunch of kids here like it as well, and Pastor Billy, the biggest kid, loves this, it's fishing. My favorite thing, if my dad said, hey, what do you want to go do? I would say, let's go fishing. So let's say my dad comes home and says, hey, Stephen, when I get home, I have to run some errands. When I get home, we're going to go fishing. Yes. But before, before we go, I have some things for you to do. Now, what happens right there, what would happen in my life, I think in a lot of other kids' lives and adults, is something called selective hearing. Or maybe we could call it the, the Charlie Brown effect. Stephen, before we go, here are some things I need you to do. I need you to and then we'll go fishing. Yes, I got it. I got everything that needs to go. You're leaving, and then we're going fishing. Now, what's going to happen when my dad gets back? All the things that he said that needed to happen before we go fishing, did I do them? No. Was, was it, and, and I'm looking, Dad, you promised. Was the problem his intention? No. He wanted to take me fishing. Was the promise his ability? No. He could take me fishing. What was the problem? I didn't follow the instructions. I selected which parts I liked of what he said and ignored the rest. Another problem, though, with promises is sometimes that we change the promise. One thing is very clearly promised, but then we think, well, okay, but if I interpret it this way, I think I could get to something else. Again, a story of my son. He had asked my wife if he could have a snack. And she said, sure, you can have a bowl of chips. And so he's like, really? I can have a whole bowl of chips? That should have clued my wife in that there was some misinformation. But he's super excited this. My wife's working outside. She comes in, and there's Jack. Now, what some of you think is he probably picked the biggest bowl. It's not what he did. He had a cereal bowl, but it was not filled with crackers or chips. It was filled with chocolate chips. <laughs> All the way to the top. And he's like, Mom, you are the best. Needless to say, she did not let him finish those. And he could look and say, wait, you promised. No, that's not what I promised. Do you understand, though, that sometimes when we don't get what we feel like was promised to us, do we look at ourselves and think, hmm, maybe something's wrong here? Or how often do we look and say, you lied? You didn't do what you promised. You didn't give me what you said you would give me. In our passage, there are 
leading up to this passage, there have been some amazing promises from Christ regarding prayer. Some truly spectacular things that he has promised his disciples when they pray. But I'm going to be honest, as we were reading through those passages, and Billy preached on one, and I'm preaching, I'm, I'm like, man, I, it feels like what's being promised isn't being fulfilled. That what Jesus said would happen when I pray, I just don't feel like that's really happening. And I think that a lot of you feel that way, and I don't think that maybe, I think you, you have enough sense to think, well, oh, Jesus, uh, you're not thinking Jesus is a liar, but, but there's a disappointment where you're like, man, something, something's not right here. There must be some fine print that's underneath this of why this isn't happening, why it's not working for me. But, but here's what I want to suggest is that what we're not doing is that we're not understanding the instructions that went along with the, the promise that we're not understanding what actually was promised, that we have somewhat distorted to think this is what was promised and I haven't gotten it. Here are some of the promises that he's given. This is John 14, verses 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 15.7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, also ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 15.16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 16.23 and 24, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Here's the parts that I think we read those and we grasp. Oh, okay, wait. Whatever you ask, this I will do. Now let me just... See if this will work. No. Oh, it's connecting. Okay. I was going to do this really cool thing of underlining things that you could see, but it's not working, and that's okay. Here's the things that we want to remember. Whatever you ask, this I will do. If you ask anything, I will do it. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Whatever you ask the Father, he may give it to you. Whatever you ask the Father, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive. That looks like an incredible promise. That's the part where we're like, yep, I want to name and claim that. But the rest of the passage has these clues that are also included. Whatever you ask in my name that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the purpose. In my name, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, ask whatever. I chose you, I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that, that's why you can ask, so that these things happen. Do it in my name, that your joy may be full. We look at those things, and, and if we only see part of the promise, then we, we look and say, God, what happened? There's so many things that I've asked for that I never got. 
I prayed for those things. You said to ask whatever I wanted. Or did he say, ask whatever in my name? And that's not just a magic word of like where we say to kids, kids, a, a question for you guys, what's the magic word? Please, not abracadabra. It's please. But something that my kids sometimes need to understand is just because they add please to a sentence doesn't mean they can get whatever they want. Dad, can I drive the car? Please? No. <laughs> What Jesus says, in my name, it means according to his will. According to his purpose. Last week, we saw Jesus doing that. We saw Jesus praying according to the Father's plan in the first five verses. We saw Jesus praying for his purpose in that plan. We saw Jesus praying not his thing, desires, but the promises that the Father had given. All of those things, that is what Jesus prayed for. What we talked about last week and what we said leading up to this week is one of the problems we have is that we don't understand the Father's plan and we don't know what our purpose is in that plan. But thankfully, in our passage this week, Jesus is going to show us. He's going to reveal what it is that we should be praying for. Here's our big idea. Jesus prays for his own because only the Father can protect and purify us to accomplish his purpose. Jesus prays for his own because only the Father can protect and purify us to accomplish his purpose. So here's the first thing that I want to ask when we're going into our passage. Who does Jesus pray for? Let's look at these first verses. Who exactly does Jesus pray for? Jesus is laying a foundation for his request. Last week, he made the request first, then he laid the foundation. This week, he's doing it a little different. He's first laying the foundation. This is why I'm going to ask what I'm going to ask. This is who I'm praying for. Then he's going to make the request. So who does Jesus pray for? He prays for his own people. Jesus prays for God's people who are his according to God's plan. So who are they? And we're, what we're going to do is we're going to actually go through this first section. Oh, look at that. It's finally there. It's gone. We're going to do this first section three times. And I, all of you should have been given different pens and, and while we're doing this. Let's start out with the red pen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through this three times. And I just want you to see these three different elements that define who we are. If anyone needs a pen, raise your hand. John Ritchie will give it to you. But what we want to see first, and I, as we go through this, is I want to show you guys the three different parts of who Jesus prays for. The first one that I want to look at is the Father. Who, what role does the Father have in who he's praying for? So let's look through these, and you can underline as we go. I have manifested your name, so we have there, to the people you gave out of me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them, and they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave. And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Do you guys see a pattern? How many times is Jesus making the point that these are God's people? What stands out to us? That the people Jesus is praying for belong to the Father according to the Father's plan. Father, the ones I'm praying for are the ones you sent me for. These are the ones that you gave me. These are the ones I gave your word to. These are yours. This is your plan. Jesus prays for a people who exist because of the work of the Father. But let's go through it a second time now. And this time, go ahead and use your blue one. Because there's another person that's doing a great work in this passage. We've seen everything that the Father's doing. Who's the other person that's doing a work here? Jesus. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Ah, it just disconnected again. We'll have some interesting colors on a few slides in the future. What are we seeing here? Who do these people also belong to? How do they exist? Because of the work of Christ. Jesus is praying for his own. He's praying for the ones that belong to the Father. He's also praying for the ones that belong to him. This is why Jesus came. I have manifested your name. One of the things that we have as a theme in the Gospel of John is all the things that Jesus says about himself. Back in the Old Testament, when, when Moses is coming before the flaming bush and he says, who am I going to tell them? What name shall I give to the Israelites? What does the Father say? Tell them that I am sent you. What is one of the themes in the Gospel of John? What does Jesus keep on saying? I am. Jesus has manifested the name of the Father. Because Jesus has manifested himself, and as we've already seen in the Gospel of John, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Father in the only Son. We are seeing this now. Jesus is the reason that these people exist. If Jesus had not come, the people would have no way of knowing who the Father was. Jesus prays for the people that are created because through his work. They are saved through his work. One of the other things that Jesus says earlier in this prayer in in verse 2, you have given the Son authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. But look what it says right in the middle because one of the amazing things is that Jesus is praying for his own. But notice what it says. I do not pray for the world. Why doesn't Jesus pray for the world. I mean, if you think about it, if there's anyone that you need to pray for, would you pray for all the people who already belong to the Father? Or would you pray for the people that are lost? But see, what, one of the things that, that, that John has done in this gospel, that Christ has demonstrated, is, is the separation. There is light and darkness. There is life and death. There are those who have responded and received Christ, and there are those who have rejected him. When he's speaking of the world here, he is speaking of those who have turned their back on God and remained in rebellion so that, as John 3 says, their condemnation remains. In John 3, it says that Jesus was not sent to condemn the world, but to save the world. But to all of those who rejected him, who turned away from him, their condemnation remains. Jesus is praying for the ones the Father has given him. For him to pray for the ones the Father has not given him, would he still be submitting to the Father? Father, you've given me these, but I also want these. Father, you've given me the ones that that have, you've told me that these are the ones that will respond, these are the ones that will receive me, but I also want to give some help to the people who continue to rebel against us. He can't. He can't pray for those who I've chosen to reject him because their condemnation remains. And for him to change that, his justice would change. John 15 verse 22 says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. The world are the ones whose fate is sealed, for they have refused their Savior. This doesn't mean we are not supposed to pray for unbelievers. We should pray for them. We should pray that God would call them out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. We should pray that they might receive life rather than death. But we should pray that those things happen only according to the Father's plan. We do not want man glorified apart 
from God. Jesus is praying for those who have received the Father. He is not praying for those to be glorified because that's where this passage is going to go. He's going to pray some very specific things about these people that should he pray for those who have rejected the Father, it would be wrong. It would be wrong to pray that they would be blessed as they reject the Father. Jesus prays for a people who were saved by the work of Christ. But let's go through it our last time. Who are these people as it relates to their response? And you're going to have to underline these yourself. You can use the black pen. I have manifested your name to the people. Underline the people. Then later on, yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Underline they have kept your word. Then in verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them that the words that you gave me and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All yours are mine, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The other way of saying that last one is, they glorify me. One of the realities that we need to understand in God's redemptive plan is that we do have a part. Now, where we feel uncomfortable is when that part is put out of proportion. If that part that we play in our redemption is is lifted up to say, you redeem yourself through your works. You redeem yourself by all the good things you do. You redeem yourself as you pay for your own sins. If we elevate our part to that proportion, we're wrong. But to diminish it to say, oh, no, there's nothing you do. It's just you wake up someday and you're a Christian because it's all the Father. That's also wrong. One of the elements of Scripture that we have is God's divine sovereignty that says what he ordained will happen is married to the reality that God has chosen to do this through human personal responsibility. We do need to respond. Now, don't misunderstand me. None of that is for our boasting. That's what Ephesians 2 says. You were dead in your trespasses. This isn't a work that you've done that you might not boast. This is all something that God did. But we see in this passage that there's also, who is Jesus praying for? Jesus is praying for the people who have responded to the Father's call, who have received Christ's revelation. They have kept your word. They know that everything you have given me is from you. They have received your words. They have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. This is what Christ has continually called people to do. Believe. This is the theme of John. These things are written so that you might believe. So Jesus says all of this. Why? Why not get to the point? That's a lot of stuff to talk about before actually getting to the request. I know for my part, when I'm praying, request comes first. 
This is what I want. But Jesus is praying for the benefit of his followers because they're going to doubt his promise. They're going to doubt that these things happen, but he has revealed their identity. Your identity in Christ is that the Father owns you. You are his. The implication of that being is that we belong to him. We must make requests according to his desire. But we also belong to Christ. He has purchased us. And we have received this. We have responded by placing our faith in Christ alone. This is our identity. That means that when we come to the Father, we are coming as his children. That's who we're asking. Why does Jesus promise this? Does he make this promise to everyone? Can everyone pray like this? No. Who can pray like this? His children. This is where John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God. So here's the question. If you're still feeling some of that, but I'm not seeing the promises, here's the first question. What would keep you from the promise of prayer if you don't belong to the Father? If you do not belong to the Father, if you are not saved through the work of Christ, if you have not responded by receiving what he has revealed, these promises are not for you. These promises are only for the ones who belong to the Father. They are only for the ones saved by Christ. They are only for the ones who have responded by repenting and placing their faith in Christ alone. That's our confidence. That's why we know that these promises that the Father has given will happen. We are his children. But if we just look at these first verses, 6 through 10, we can think, okay, Looks like everything's good. Jesus, I guess there's no, no need to pray for anything else because all the things that you came to do, all the purpose of saving people, it's already happened, so what more is there to pray? Well, look at 11, the first part of 11. This is what it says, 11a. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Jesus is the one that introduces the real reason why he's praying for them. It's not for their salvation. They've already been saved. The real reason is because of what has been, he's been talking about since chapter 13. What is the big problem that the disciples are feeling? What is the thing that is tearing their heart? What has Jesus proclaimed to them that they are, is just a weight that seems more than they can bear? I'm leaving. All of their problem that they are feeling comes to the fact that Jesus says, I'm leaving. So if the whole problem is that Jesus is leaving, what's the easy solution that would take that problem away? Stay here. Don't go. They've already done that. They've already tried that. Jesus, don't leave us. Stay here. But Christ says, I have to go. This is part of the Father's plan. If I don't go. All of the things that we have done won't come to fruition. This is what needs to happen. But then there's another solution. Okay, if you really have to go and all of these problems that we're going to have are because you're leaving, what's the next obvious solution? 
take me with you. I love the movie uh, Lord of the Rings. I love the books Lord of the Rings. And in them, Frodo has this monumental task that he needs to do. And he's leaving everyone else to go do this task. And he has his companion, Sam, who comes to him. And Frodo says, I have to go. And Sam says, of course you do. But I'm going with you. That's kind of what Peter wanted to do. Peter, I'm I'm leaving. Yes, and wherever you go, I'm going to come with you. And Jesus says, you will. One day. But not yet. And then he's told them all the problems they're going to face because they remain. And so this is the crux of the issue. This is why he's praying for them. I am no longer in the world. I'm leaving. But they are in the world. Think of all the problems that you have in your life. Are any of them not because you are still in this world? Will we need to pray like this in heaven? No. All of these things are because we are still in the world and we have these issues. So Jesus is going to make his request now. This is what he's going to ask for. But before we do that, there's another question that we need to address when we're talking about prayer. Why does Jesus pray to the Father? Why does he turn to the Father? The Father's in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. What's the Father going to do about it? Jesus understands that only the Father has the power to accomplish his plan through us. One of the things that we've had since chapter 13, how much has Jesus given different commands to his followers? He's given a lot, right? Like he's, he's leaving and he's given them several, a few chapters worth of here's what you need to do. There's a lot there. Now if we just focus on all of the, the things that Jesus says that we need to do, where does it seem that Jesus' confidence is that things will happen according to the Father's plan? I guess on us. You need to follow my commands. You need to bear witness. You need to do these things. But do you know what Jesus continually interjects in all of those different passages about what we need to do, our purpose? He keeps putting it on the foundation that the one that truly is going to do the work is God himself. We saw this when we talked about, when we were in John 15, Where Jesus says that we need to abide in the vine. This is what he says in John 15 verse 4. Abide in me and I in you as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Christ gives all of these commands that we need to do, but what is the foundation? Whose power does he say will really allow us to accomplish that? His power. In these passages, we've also seen a lot of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
Then in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Kids, last time you were here, we were in that passage, and what we talked about is that the helper is not someone like how adults think about it, that the helper is someone who is less than you, who is just maybe hired to come alongside, but all the responsibility is on you. It's actually how you guys think of helpers. It's someone who is greater than you, who will actually do the task. Again, where is Christ's confidence that the plan will be accomplished? Is it in us or is it in his spirit? Is it in himself? And then we come to our passage. Where does Christ turn for the things that we need in order to accomplish the purpose? Does Jesus spend these final moments, the last moments of words he's going to have with his disciples in the Gospel of John, does he spend them saying, do this, do this, do this, because this is what you need to do? He shared those things, but he says, you can't do these by yourself. You need the Father. Yes, there is a human responsibility that we have. Christ gives us commands, and we have to choose to follow those, but the strength to follow those commands could never come from me. So why does Jesus pray to the Father? Because only the Father has the power to keep us. Only the Father has the power to protect us. Only the Father has the power to purify us. So now let's look at what does Jesus pray for. He prays that the Father would protect and purify his own, that they then might accomplish their purpose. Look at verse 11. He starts out, Holy Father. This is the only time in the Gospel of John that Jesus says that. And it's not just a, you know, well, I like to add some spice to my prayers, so I try to think of all the different names of God, and I just don't want to say, Lord, 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 every time. So I just add a few adjectives here and there just to make it more interesting. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is purposefully choosing this term, Holy Father, because everything else that comes later in his prayer is based on this. Holy Father Keep them in your name. Protect them. Preserve them. They can't do this on their own. This is how Jude ends. To him who is able to hold us fast. Jesus knows these disciples are prone to wander. He knows that there will be many dangers in this world that will tempt them away. There will be many things that are more powerful than the disciples. But what Jesus has said is, take heart, I have overcome the world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's not because of our power. It's all because of his power. Father, keep them. Keep them in your name. which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's a little strange of a purpose for the request. Father, keep them so that they would not fall away. Keep them so that they would be strong. Keep them, so, so whatever it is, but he says, keep them that they would be one. Christ protects, 
request here, the, the, the result of that is supposed to be unity. Now, now, I want you to understand something here. Jesus is not praying for unity. His request is not unity. It's the result is unity. The request is keep them. Well, who's he asking this? Holy Father, you who are separate, you who are set apart, keep your people set apart. Do not allow division to enter among them. Why does he pray that? Why is that the result that we want? Because we need this protection from one another. We need to be together, united in a body, because we are in a battle. But there's another reason in this because this is what reveals to the world what Christ is doing. This is what we're going to see next week in verses 21 and 22. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Do you think that unity in the body of Christ matters to Jesus? Now, if that's the goal, though, should we diminish the standard until we can find the common denominator? Hey, you know what? We're supposed to be united. That's what it says here. So let's just bring down the standard to the point where we can all be agreed and we can be united. Hey, do you think that Jesus was the only Son of God? You don't? Okay, wait, let me try again. Um, do you believe that Jesus was real? Oh, you, good, good. We're, we can be united about that. No, the united that he's saying is keep them in your name, in your character. But what this means for us is that the things that should divide us should never be the things of this world. We should never be divided because of politics. We should not be divided because of ethnicity. We should not be divided because of economics. We should not be divided about nationality. Because what unites us is not the lowest common denominator. It is our highest common denominator. What unites us is that we are in Christ. So we need to be very careful any time that we think that the step that needs to be taken is to be disunited from someone. But understand, there are times where we need to do that if it means that being united means turning away from God's holiness. As a body, we ha there will be times where we will put someone out from us. Why? Because they are not united with us under God's holiness. So Christ prays, keep them, that they may be one even as we are one. But then he says this, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. This is the role that I have had, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who has kept these disciples? Who has protected them? Jesus has. But what's the problem? He's leaving. And so he says, Father, would you keep them? Now, what do you think the question is in the disciples if Jesus says, I have not lost one of them? What are the disciples all thinking happened just a few minutes before? Um, I mean, there were 12 of us. There's 11 of us now kind of feels like maybe one was lost. I mean, but one out of 12 is not bad. No, that he, he wasn't lost. It was that the scriptures would be fulfilled. 
Jesus has already said, those who the Father has given me, no one takes out of my hand. They are in my hand. They are in the Father's hand. He said that in John 10. We have this confidence in him, but now we need someone else to, they, those disciples need someone else to keep them, someone else to guard them. Because Jesus says, 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they might have jo- my joy fulfilled in themselves. Here's the thing. If, you, if I talked about the promises of the promise of prayer, but you kind of feel like, well, yeah, but you're kind of diminishing the promise. You're making the promise not as special because the way I was interpreting it was really awesome. I was going to get a Lamborghini. That's how I was in- interpreting it. But the way you're interpreting it, I'm not so sure. No, it's not diminishing the promise. It's realigning the promise. It's understanding what was really promised. And what does Jesus want? What's the other result? result? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Not the peace that the world gives, the true peace of Christ. The true joy. That's what Jesus is promising. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are going to face persecution. We're going to face problems. But again, why are we going to face those? Where are we? So what's the easy solution? Take us out. Okay, if we're going to be hated here because we're not of the world, but we're here, then Jesus, take us out. But then look what he says, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Why not? (laughs) To be in your presence is better. Jesus, why wouldn't you ask for that? That's where we get all these things that we want. Why not ask that we can go with you? Because we have a purpose. He does not ask that we are taken out of the world, but he does ask that we would be protected. He says this, but that you keep them from the evil one. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the true danger that we face. But Christ has prayed for our protection. So Jesus prays for our protection, but then he also prays that we would be purified. Look what it says in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is is truth. That word sanctify them is to set them apart. It's to make them holy. How did he begin his request? Holy Father. Now he's saying sanctify them. Make them holy. This is a work of the Father. Yes, we need to respond in sanctification. We need to actually do the things that, we, that he commands, but it's all through the Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then he says in 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is our purpose. If you don't know how to pray for your purpose according to the the Father's plan, you can find it right here. As I was sent into the world, what was Christ sent into the world? He was sent to seek and to save sinners. He was meant to bear witness to the Father. He was meant to proclaim and make manifest the Father's name. What then is our role? Jesus came to glorify the Father. What is our role? We are here to do the same thing that Christ has done. 
Now don't misunderstand me. We're not going to die on the cross. We're not going to pay for people's sins. But we don't have to because Christ has already done that. What we are to do is to point people to Jesus. That's what still needs to happen. That's why he hasn't taken us away. You know, there's a part of me that would love if we could just be enoch Enoch walked with God and was no more. That would be great. Why? Because I'm already, Christ has already redeemed me. I am already in God's eyes, holy and set apart. I'm not going to become more set apart in the sense that I'm not going to become more worthy. So why doesn't God just Enoch me? Because we have a purpose. And it is the purpose that Christ has done. So if you're not sure what your plan, what the plan is, you don't understand your purpose, look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We come here again full circle to what Christ has done for us. In the Old Testament, there's two different views of, of of consecrating, of setting things apart. In one sense, there was the setting apart of, of the priests, the Levites. They would, how they were to be dressed was to demonstrate that they were set apart. And so then when they came to do the sacrifice, they were worthy of doing that sacrifice because of what they had done. That they had been set apart, they had followed the, the Father's commands. And part of that imagery is here. We need to be set apart in that we follow God's commands. That we are doing a work. If we want to bear witness to this world, if we want to glorify the Father, we're not going to do that if we aren't sanctified, if we are not set apart. But the other way that the word is used is not for the priests who are offering the sacrifice. It's also used about the sacrifice itself. That the lambs were consecrated. The lambs were set apart. This is what we see in Christ. For this reason, I consecrate myself. For their sake, I consecrate myself. Where is Jesus heading in a few hours? To the cross. How did the John the Baptist proclaim Christ? Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus consecrated himself so that we might be sanctified. He gave himself up. He died in our place so that we could be made holy. If you're not sure about all of the promises, you're looking and, and you're like, man, he says some amazing things about prayer. Did Christ have those doubts? Did Christ wonder if God was actually going to keep his promise, he didn't. He had full confidence. He knew that the Father's intention was good and it was going to lead to good. He knew that the Father actually had the power to fulfill his promises. But Christ also understood his purpose. He understood the Father's plan and he prayed accordingly. That's what we need to do. What would keep you from the promise of prayer? If we're praying for the wrong things, what do we pray for more? Do we pray for protection and preservation from evil and sin? Or do we pray for protection and preservation from discomfort and inconveniences? Which one do you pray for more? 
I know which one I pray for more. I pray that I wouldn't be uncomfortable. I pray that I wouldn't have inconveniences. But what does Jesus pray for? Preserve them, protect them from evil. Do we pray for purification from the world or do we pray for the passions of this world? Father, I, if I just had a little bit more money, if I had this stuff, if I had this popularity, Jesus is praying that we would be purified out of this world, not that we would receive the passions of this world. Do we pray that God would help us to accomplish his purpose in our lives, or do we pray that God would help us accomplish our purpose for our lives? God, this is, this is my plan. This is what I need your help for. Can you do this? If we're praying for the latter of all of these things, it's no wonder we're not getting the promise that was given. Because these things are not praying in his name. It's not praying according to his will. But if we pray, Father, protect me. Preserve me from evil and sin. Father, purify me from this world. Father, help me to accomplish your purpose. I, I just want to challenge parents right now. How many of you could recite for me right now the prayer that your child is going to pray later today if you ask them to pray? If you ask them to pray for lunch, could you give me a pretty good shot of all the things that are included in their prayer? Where do you think they learned that? Where do you think they learned to pray like that? It's not from Scripture. Are we teaching our children to pray like Jesus prayed? They're not going to get those promises. And what's going to happen when they see the big words, you ask for whatever you want, and then you're like, listen, I prayed for lots of things. I prayed every night to not have a bad dream. Still got them. Are we teaching our children to pray what the Father has promised? Are we teaching our children to pray this is what the Father has guaranteed? Jesus prays for his own because only the Father can protect and purify us to accomplish his purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we...